fast. Okay, so welcome. We are on chapter 46. Today we'll be doing 46 and 47 together because they're literally like a continuation. Uh, it's I'm, I'm surprised it's even two separate chapters. Um, we remember we are still in the section where we're talking about creating emotions for God. So we're getting different things, different concepts to contemplate on to create either awe or love. Okay. So this chapter starts off by telling us that there's another kind of love that's accessible to everyone. Um, last class, we talked about the, um, the, the type of love that comes through compassion, right? We're feeling badly that God is trapped inside of our body. And through having that compassion, that leads us to love, okay? That's like the back door to reach love if we can't reach it on our own without compassion. This chapter is telling us there's a, even a different kind of love. And the reason why the Alter Rebbe makes this um, point that it's accessible to everyone is because at this point, some of us might be feeling like all of these meditations, all of these different things to think about, like, I don't feel intellectually capable of meditating on these concepts to create this love. It's overwhelming. I can't do it. So although the Altar Rebbe really, really believes that everybody at some level and at some capacity can do it, there is room to say that maybe for somebody it's not accessible. So this is the this is why the Altar Rebbe says, you know what? If those loves at all the loves that we spoke about, none of those are accessible to you. Here's one that everybody can do. Why? Because it's an automatic um, action. Basically, it's this kind of love is based on a mechanism that um, operates on its own, right? We just have to trigger it. So what are we talking about? We're talking about this concept that Shlomo HaMelech talks about in, um, I think it's Tehillim, but I'm not sure. And he describes um, this phenomenon of kamayim ha-panim el-panim. When you look into a pool of water, if the pool of water is very clear, it's gonna reflect back to you your face right? So your face is reflected back to you in a clear body of water, right? So our the face reflects a face. Um, this concept, we take this metaphor and apply it to the heart of a man. Man meaning mankind, not just the gender man, but um, humans, right? The heart of a human reflects the heart of another right? So when we feel something towards somebody, that feeling will be reciprocated, okay? It's the nature of the heart, that when you feel something towards someone, that feeling is reflected back at you, okay? So when you have, th that feeling stirs feelings in another, that, that is, could be the catalyst for somebody else having feelings to you. Now that works with love and that works with negative feelings as well, right? 
So this love doesn't take any contemplation in order to create, right? It just takes the ability to be aware that we're loved, okay? Because guess what? This is like the theme of this chapter. So this is the point that I'm going to bring home over and over again. If you feel loved, you will feel loving, right? If you feel loved, you will love. Um, It's actually very interesting because um, I'm sure a lot of you have heard me talk about this book called What Happened to You? And it's a book written by Oprah and Dr. Perry, the same doctor who wrote The Body Keeps the Score. And it talks about trauma in like layman's terms, how everybody can understand um, why people do the things that they do. And what it says in that book, which is a, a direct reflection of what we're talking about here, is that you can't give what you don't have, right? So if you were, if somebody is a person that never felt love, that wasn't raised, um, with a mother or father that love them, they will not be able to give love. Um, if they do, it's not natural and it takes a huge amount of effort. I'm not saying it can't happen, but it's very hard to give something you've never had, right? So this is a very similar concept, right? If you feel loved, then you have the ability to feel loving. So if we can just trigger that knowledge that God loves us, then we will be able to reciprocate that feeling and love him back, okay? Now, I'm sure there's a question going through your head like, Uh, I've experienced loving someone and them not loving me back or vice versa, right? So through what we're learning here, we understand that the natural way that our heart works is reciprocally. It reciprocates. I don't know. I just made up a word. Maybe. I don't know. But our heart reciprocates, right? So if you feel something towards somebody and that feeling is not reciprocated, that is unnatural. It happens, but there's something unnatural happening at that point to allow that to happen, okay? So we're not going to get into it too um, deeply because the point of this chapter is to to dwell on the fact that there's this automatic feeling that happens if we can just tap into the fact that God loves us and then we can love him back, okay? Now, we need some tools, right? Because just saying God loves me might not work. We need proof, right? What's like, I tell my kids all the time, what's the evidence, right? A kid will come home and say like, this one thinks this about me. And that one thinks this about me, or you think that about me and uh, what's the evidence, right? So we need evidence that God loves us, right? So we can tap into that feeling of love. It's only fair that we have some evidence. So the Tanya brings a parable, um, which always includes a king, um, to help us tap into that feeling of love. And the parable goes like this. There was a poor, wretched, lonely man who lived on top of a garbage heap, okay? And he... Uh, He lived in the, like in the garbage dump on top of a garbage heap, right? And he was dirty and smelly and lonely. And he was like the, the um, lowliest of the low. Okay. 
One day, the, uh, the king and his entourage are passing by this garbage heap and they see the lonely man sitting there. So the king gets off of his chariot, walks to the poor smelly man, lifts him up, brings him back into his chariot. They go to the palace, they get to the palace and the king takes him through all the chambers of the palace, through all the many, many different rooms, getting deeper and deeper and deeper into the palace until this man is in the king's personal chambers that not even his closest advisors go into. And he takes this man in his, in his personal chamber and hugs him and kisses him. Okay? That's the parable that the Tanya gives us. Now, how do you think that lonely, poor, wretched man feels about being the object of affection of the king? I would think it's safe to say that he feels love back, right? If the king is going to take me and love me, right, and pay attention to me, then I'm going to love I'm going to love him back. And then not only that, if the king would take any person, a regular person, uh, a high person in the office, ranking office, if the king shows love to anybody, there's that reciprocal love. It only, it gets only even more intense because the division of ranks between these two people are so great that it intensifies this love. The king is the highest person in the land. This poor guy is probably one of the lowest people. And for the king to show love to this, to this man is just, it even makes the love even greater because of their vast differences, right? You with me so far? So um, this is our story. You wanna hear how this is our story? We were slaves in Egypt. At that time, we were the lowest of the low. We had reached the 49th level of impurity. We had barely any saving grace, right? But then God himself, himself, no angels, God himself came down and took us out of Egypt. Not only did he take us out of Egypt, he took us to the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai, which is the most spiritual experience that to ever exist. Nothing was ever as great before or after. So they took us from the lowest, lowest, lowest of the low to 49 days later to the highest, highest, highest of the high, right? To the, not even angels can experience, right? Do you see the exact comparison, right? The king himself took the poor person. God himself took us out of Egypt. We were the lowest of the low. The, per, the poor person was the, the lowest of the low. Took us out and brought us to the highest, most spiritual experience. The king took the, took the wretched poor man to the innermost chambers of his palace that not even his closest advisors were allowed to go in. Mount Sinai, not even the angels were able or ever experienced that amount of spirituality. Okay. So if we contemplate on these dynamics of the story of the Exodus of Egypt, 
we will automatically have an emotional reciprocal reaction. It's impossible not to. Okay. And we will feel loved by God because we will remember that story. And we were all present for that story, by the way, we were all there. And we'll remember how much God loved us that he himself plucked us out of this terrible situation and brought us to Mount Sinai. And if we only a king who loves his subjects would do that. So obviously God loves us. And when we can contemplate on that and, and focus on that and think about that and pay attention to that, that will automatically trigger that reciprocal love. Okay. Um, any questions so far? Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, I get confused by that parable because it is judging the, the man by his external. He might be a genius or a tzaddik or something. You know, we, there's nothing about his insights. It's all that he's living in a garbage heap. Okay, that's a very good point. But what I want to say to that is, I, I think the Tanya is describing someone who's kind of inwardly and outwardly equally down in the dumps. Okay, but let's say even if we don't say that inwardly he's down in the dumps, he's not able to access and live his full potential because of his outward circumstance. So even though um, he might not be a bad person, right? But he's not able to function and live his full potential because of an outward circumstances. So the king comes, right? And shows his love and takes him out of this terrible outward situation so that he can live and access his full potential. Does that help a little? A little. Okay, so yeah. We're not, we're not looking to basically don't, I get what you're saying. Don't use this parable to judge other people, right? We're not looking at other people who are poor and who are struggling and who are having outward difficulties and saying, oh, they're living they're They're, they're so far from God. That's not the point of this parable. It's literally just to explain to us that even though the king is such a holy and great person, he cares about every single individual, no matter their circumstance. So it's a very specific like tunnel vision reason why we're giving this parable it doesn't apply to grading and rating people in their lives. Okay. Okay. Um, if it's still bothering you, let me know. But I think sit, sit with that for a few minutes and let me know how that feels. Okay. So so we, we understand how this reciprocal love works. Now, there's a really, really great advantage to this love because if you are one of the people, let's say, right, devil's advocate, if you are one of the people that's claiming to not be able to do any of those other meditations, then, and, and then you claim that you're so far from God that you can't get to this feeling of love and with through the regular meditations, you can't say that for this meditation, because what did we say in the parable, the farther you are from God, the more 
awesome and great this reciprocal love works and feels, right? Because we said the farther the, the gulf between the, these two people um, are, the more amazing and the more astounding this reciprocal love is, okay? So this kind of meditation, because it doesn't even take that much meditation, it just takes tapping into this kind of experience really excludes nobody. We just have to trigger that reciprocal love, okay? Now, um, we are going to take this metaphor and take it one step further, okay? We kind of have this idea of this like mixed metaphor because the altar of now describes this relationship in terms of marriage, right? In terms of what a marriage union looks like. So we actually, in many, many places, um, oh, hold on, why am I paused? Sorry, I hope it's you. Can you guys still hear me on Instagram? It paused for some reason. I don't know. Um, many, many, basically, our relationship with God is referred to as a marriage. Okay. So we're going to add this type of metaphor into what we're already discussing. Okay. And it's interesting because every single time, well, almost every single time we do a mitzvah, we say a blessing. And all blessings start, all blessings include, or most of them include, Asher Kedishanu. Kedushin is um, uh, sanctification, and it's used in, in terms of marriage. So every single time we do a mitzvah, we are saying to God that we are sanctified to each other. We're married to each other. We say it in the blessings multiple times a day. Okay, so if you were to combine these two metaphors, what would it look like? It looks like the king who um, sees this very, very disheveled, struggling human, not, it's not even a, a poor man anymore, it's his to-be bride, right? And he finds his bride in the garbage dump and he takes her and he brings her close and he brings her all the way into the inner chambers of his palace and he becomes one with her. He unifies with her in marriage, okay? That takes that this parable even one step further. So when um, that, and that's what Hashem did with us. He didn't just pluck us out of Egypt and save us from a situation and then abandon us. He took us out of Egypt and he took us with him. He took us with him all the way on the journey to the giving of the Torah on Mount Sinai, which is considered the marriage, the union of the Jewish people to God, right? Because we know we're on chapter 46. We know what about God and his Torah do we know? We know that God and his Torah are one, okay? We know that... Um, There was, a, there was a quote that I wanted to read to you, but I forgot. Okay, hopefully I'll remember it. But we know that God and his Torah are one. So we know that when we are doing God's Torah, we are literally connecting to him in the most intimate way. Actually, our connection to God is even more intense than a marriage but we don't have words for it in our, in, our, in, in our language, right? We can't describe it in our language. So the, the closest we're gonna get to the most 
intense union is a marriage. Okay. So he took us with him. He merged with us. It likens to a marital union. So our minds can grasp this intense unification that we have with Hashem. Now I want to pause for a second and we're going to do this again in our meditation, but I want you to think about that for one second. Okay. Think about this awesome, greatest king, right? Taking us who in the time of the Exodus of Egypt was the lowest of the low and took us out personally and brought us to his innermost chambers and married us and you, you and became one with us in the most intense way. If you think about that, I promise you it will stir something inside of you. It will. Okay. This is how chapter 46 concludes. Now we're going to go smoothly right into chapter 47. And it's a direct continuation of what we're talk talking about, which is this reciprocal love. Actually, this reciprocal love is going to take us all the way through chapter 49. In 46, we introduced the principle just a couple minutes ago. We talked about the parable, the story of Exodus. And now in 47, we're going to answer this unspoken question that we might have. Anyone have, after hearing and listening to this parable of the Exodus of Egypt, does anyone, do any questions come up for you? Not on the parable, but on the actual Exodus from Egypt story. Does anything come to mind that just needs a little bit of clarification or, you know, it's, we're struggling with? See, the, the, the altar was one step ahead. He even asks the questions before we even have them. So the unanswered question that we're going to talk about is, how am I supposed to relate to the exodus of Egypt when this happened so long ago? Yes, we were all there. Yes, subconsciously, our souls were all there. And we can tap into it. But it's still very far from us, right? Like, it's still thousands of years ago. We don't have a personal, like, memory or connection to it. So how is this exodus from Egypt supposed to trigger this reciprocal love when if we're real, if we're being real, it doesn't really mean that much to us on a real core level, okay? Um, so yes, we can get there because even just understanding the concept of what Hashem did for us, all for, for us as the Jewish people all the way back then, still can stir that emotion. But the altar wants it to be easier for us and to be even more accessible. So now we're going to, to understand and describe how the exodus from Egypt is very real for us on a real practical personal level every single day. Okay, so we, um, a lot of us are familiar with the um, verse. It's also one of those 12 passages that we've mentioned over and over again. One of them, the, the third one of these 12 passages is, What does that mean in English? In every generation, a person must believe that Hashem took he himself out of Egypt um, every day, today, okay? So um, 
there's a one explanation that we can refer to this, and then we're going to take it even one step further. So the first explanation is we see history repeat itself constantly. And even now in 2022, we are seeing it even more so like than we thought we ever would, that I thought that I ever would in my life, right? We see the, the cycle of persecution, right? Exile and um, on a collective general level and redemption, right? We're still waiting for our present redemption, but this cycle for the Jewish people is nothing new, right? It started, the first one was the exit, was being enslaved in Egypt. That was the first time this occurred. And then many times after this, we are persecuted, we're redeemed, we're persecuted, we're redeemed. And then now for the last, you know, long, long time, it's just persecution, 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 right? Like it's just layering on until we're going to, Merits Hashem, God willing, have the final redemption. But so we can really you have it. You have to just read the the, the news. Just, exactly. The, the just people. read the news like every single day. That it, and it's actually mind blowing that this is still happening. But if you think about it, we're still in Exodus, so it makes sense but, that it's happening, right? Well, I mean, we're still in, yeah, we're but still there, in the diaspora. There are people being literally redeemed and going uh, actually to Israel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're hopefully getting prepped for the ultimate redemption, right? Um, it's got to happen soon. I, I don't know what to say. So um, what was I saying? Yeah, so on a collective level, like it's not so if we were just to substitute the persecution of Egypt to the persecution of whatever we're feeling in the moment, we can get there, right? Like this is very real for us in our day-to-day -day life. But the altar says, yes, and, yes, and. He adds the words, um, the altar adds the words every day. So we are saying that we're not basically, we're not just saying that this is a Jewish history repeating itself as a global community. We're saying each and every individual, the Jewish experience as an individual is an ongoing experience of Exodus. So not just community-wise, but every single person, every single day experiences this phenomenon, this, this exile redemption cycle. What does that mean? What is, basically, we are now going to apply this to our personal lives. And actually, like, this is maybe one of my favorite chapters. I know I say that a lot, but like, <laughs> um, I say it like a few times, but this is really one, uh, this is very special because this is extremely practical and extremely like hits home. So. What's the Exodus theme in your personal life? How have you experienced Exodus today, right now? Exodus, i.e. transcending our limitations. Okay, guys, this is big. If you were to translate Exodus as transcending limitations, 
it all of a sudden becomes the most personal thing, right? How are we transcending our own limitations, our own boundaries that keep us trapped in exile? How are we transcending those every single day? Okay. The fact is that our, just the mere fact that our souls embodied is a limitation. Number one. Okay. And Hashem has given us the means to overcome that limitation, to still be one with him, to still connect with him. We have the ability bequeathed to us from Abraham. We talked about the, um, I can't remember exactly which chapter, but we talked about the inheritance we got from Abraham, which is the ability to transcend our limitations and become one with God. How? How do we do that? All of you, I want you to shout out right now. We know this. How do we do it? Tell me, Barbara. Torah and mitzvahs. Yes, Torah and mitzvahs, okay? Like we know this, it's drilled into our head. How do we connect with God? How do we become one with him? Torah and mitzvahs. So when we choose to study Torah, as opposed to doing something else, like right now, like what you're doing right now, we are transcending our own limitations right now as we speak, right? And if we choose to do a mitzvah, a good deed, that is transcending our limitations. That is getting us out of our own personal ego, self-preservation, you know, desires and lusts, put, putting that aside and getting God conscious. That's transcending our limitations. We do that every single day or we try to, right? So... Remember, Torah mitzvahs are not just assignments from God, like a homework assignment, right? That it is us becoming one with God because Torah, this is what I was looking for before, Torah is God in book form. Okay, so think, think, we're going to have a lot to meditate on tonight because this is really, really, really practical. Think about every single time, every single moment of every single day, our soul is embodied. It's has, it's kind of an exile, right? And every single time we transcend that by doing Torah and mitzvahs, we are redeeming ourselves from our own personal exile. And that is our own personal exodus from Egypt that happens to us every single day. So the exodus from Egypt is not this foreign concept that we're supposed to try to tap into that happened thousands and thousands of years ago to our ancestors. We take that concept and we say our own personal journey, our own personal redemption. What did we do today? How did we transcend our limitations today? Okay. So the Zohar says um, just to, uh, um, there's uh, many um, kind of quotes and um, examples that the Tanya brings to prove this point. I'm just going to say one. And the Zohar says in, um, the Parsha, it's, I don't know, I don't remember which Parsha it's in, but it's Vayikhuli Truma, and there's different, many different ways that you can translate it, but the Zohar translates it as, you take me through doing a mitzvah. You're not just following Hashem's orders, you're taking me. You're becoming one with me, like Hashem took us out of Egypt and married us, Every time we do a mitzvah, we're reciprocating that experience, okay? Um, so the exodus is our ability 
if you want to write this down, if you were to write one thing down, I would write this down. The exodus is our ability at any time, anywhere, under any conditions to transcend the limitations of our body and become one with God through the adherence of Torah and mitzvahs. Okay, I'm going to say that again because it's that important. The exodus is the ability at any time, anywhere, under any circumstance to transcend the limitations of our body and become one with God through the adherence of Torah and mitzvahs. Okay? Any questions before we um, touch upon the last concept of chapter 47? Okay. So um, the... Okay, the, sorry, I got distracted. The last thing that the chapter 47 touches upon is why do we mention the exodus from Egypt in the Shema? If you think about it, it doesn't really fit there. In the third paragraph of Shema, we talk about the exodus from Egypt, okay? Why? It doesn't really fit the theme of Shema, okay? Because the Alter Rebbe now explains that the exodus and the Shema are really one and the same idea. It's one and the same. What do we say in the Shema? Hashem is our God. Hashem is one, right? That's the first line of Shema. Through our surrender, um, the declaration of God's unity, which is the Shema, um, effectively, one second. So through our surrender, our declaration of his unity, effectively, we have transcended all our limitations and all our separateness. So through declaring that Hashem is one, Hashem is our God, Hashem is one, that in itself transcends our limitations, right? And effectively, all that separateness disappears, right? Which is what our goal is, right? So every time you say the Shema and live the Shema, that is a personal exodus, okay? So what, what, what does it mean to live the Shema? To live with the concept of God is, Shem is our God and Hashem is one, right? We can live our life that way. Every time we say Shema with intention, that is a personal exodus, okay? So let's say you do nothing else godly the whole day, but you say Shema before you go to bed with intention, you're having a personal exodus. You're transcending your limitations. Okay. And how does that third um, paragraph of Shema end? Ani Hashem Elokechem. I am your God, possessive, right? I'm not a God. I'm not the God. I'm your God, right? He's ours. He gave himself to us. He gave us free access to him anytime. We have the ability to access God anytime we want, okay? So the exodus is something that is happening right now to you, okay? And then when you feel loved, you automatically will feel loving. Because obviously, if Hashem is giving himself to us, that's a loving act. He loved us. He picked us. He wants us, right? 
out of love. So if you focus on this, you will feel loved and in turn, you will feel loving. Okay. So, and I just want to make one more point about the Exodus. It's the ability to overcome all obstacles environmentally that the and obstacles that surround you or the obstacles that come from within you. We're talking about both. Okay. So God, and then no, you want to know what else should foster love? Um, that, that God gave us the ability to do this, right? God gave us the tools. He gifted us the tools of this reciprocal love and this transcending our limitations as a gift from God. That's an act of love. So when we think about this amazing act of love that God gave us, how could we not feel loving? Okay, that is chapter 46 and chapter 47. Any questions before we have such good stuff to meditate on this, this week? <laughs> I'm excited. So any questions before we head to meditation? Okay, I feel like it's also good. We're ending a little early. It's a busy week. I'm very grateful and happy. Whoever was able to come, I didn't wanna, like I said in the beginning of class, I didn't wanna take off this week because Pesach is coming and we lose momentum. And we're actually like, so almost there. I don't think we'll finish before Pesach, but maybe a week or two after. We're really close. Okay, so take a deep breath. Take a second to like drop into your um, intentional breathing, just to remind you. Um, I really like to have my one hand on my chest, one hand on my lower abdomen. When we exhale, sorry, when we inhale, when we inhale, we want our chest to expand. We want to open up that heart center. When we inhale, sorry, when we exhale, whoa, I am confused today. When we exhale, we want it to start in our pubic bone and go all the way up. Okay. So I'm going to give you a few minutes just to focus on your intentional breathing. It helps quiet our mind. You don't have to worry what to think about because you're focused on your breath for a few minutes, okay? Okay, while you're still working on your intentional breath, I want you to visualize this beautiful, shining, sparkling light shining into you and melting away any tension or stress that you might still be carrying in any place in your body. So find the place where you're holding in your stress or your tension. Visualize this bright shining light, just melting all that away. Hopefully you start to feel more open, more loose, more calm.
So now that hopefully our body is a little bit more open, um, let's go to our meditation, okay? So first of all, emotions are mirrored. If you love someone, they will instinctively love you back. The same is true for, with feelings for God. When you contemplate how God has shown love for you, your heart will automatically mirror back that love. Okay. So just remember that concept of the, the, the mirror. Okay. Like just like you look into a body of water and you see your own face reflecting back. That's the same concept of the emotions we have for God and God has for us. While you um, are thinking about these thoughts, I want you to just observe how they make you feel in your body, um, in your mind, what's happening for you. When God brought us to Mount Sinai to give us the Torah, it was like a great king personally showing his love for a lowly person. Okay. You escape from Egypt every day when you release yourself from the self-centered energy of your body and become absorbed in God's infinite light. This is what I really want you to think about. This happens anytime you do a mitzvah, especially saying the Shema. When you say the words, God is our God God is one. Think how your ego is being voided as you are absorbed in the oneness of the blessed infinite light. Okay, so we experience an exodus from Egypt every single day, every single time we transcend our own limitations, the things that might be holding us back. That is our personal exodus from Egypt. And when you think about how that happens, how God gave us the ability to transcend our limitations. It's an act of love. When you feel loved, you will feel loving. And that's how we're going to end. When you feel loved, you will feel loving. Let that wash over you. How does that feel? Do you feel like you can integrate this into your life in any way? It will, in any personal opportunity. It will look different for everybody, but I want you to think about what this means to you personally. Bring your attention back to your intentional breath. So kind of let your mind go, focus on your breathing for a couple seconds. In, inhale that expansion, 
that exhale, that grounding strength. When you're ready, you can wiggle your fingers and toes, become aware of your body and its space. Observe some of the sights, sounds, smells around you to kind of bring you back to the present. And when you're ready, you can gently open your eyes. Okay, so any thoughts, questions, feelings? It smells like humantashen. Oh, yum. <laughs> That's a good thing to come back to. Okay, so any anything before we go? I, you know when you're when you're in a like semi sleep, semi spiritual like daze. That's what just happened. At one point, I was like, "Oh my god!" I I just was like, "What what's happening?" Like it just like that's amazing. Yeah, yay! That's so awesome. I know. I just I don't even like know what you were saying. I just know that it happened. <laughs> like I don't even know what awesome. the it's more, it doesn't matter what I was saying. Yeah. <laughs> so cool. Um, I just feel like this chapter is really practical, really personal. Um this is stuff that we can think about. This is stuff that we do every day. This is things that when we want to transcend our limitations, we all trap ourselves into things into our own box, right? How do we get out of that box? Every time we do something out of our nature or something that's difficult or something that's godly, we are having our own personal exodus from Egypt. And when we think about that and we think about how loving that experience is, that will initiate that reciprocal love and everybody can do that. Yeah, so have so a wonderful good. week. Have a Freilichen, happy Purim. Um, I hope everybody has a genuinely good time without stress this is what i'm telling myself <laughs> i'm like giving myself the blessings here and um we will see you next week all right thank you thank you you're welcome you're welcome